Okay, that way if they decide to nominate me for president in the next election, you know, we can point it out back to how it all started on You Are the Guest. Absolutely. <laughs> and just just make me the, the Carl Rove. Okay, whoever your, that is. Yeah. Okay, well, <laughs> he, he's he's the really nice guy. Welcome to You Are the Guest, a weekly show where you can be the guest and tell people what you and your friends and neighbors think about news events and issues of the day. It's part talk show, part opinion poll, part reality show, and a whole lot of fun. And it's completely dependent upon your participation as a guest. To be considered as a guest for a future show, check out the website at www.youaretheguest.com for details. Now here's your program host, Bill Grady. Greetings from the great city of Fort Dodge, Iowa, and welcome to show 28 of You Are the Guest, the show where we talk to everyday people just like you and me about their lives and about the issues of the day. Our guest today is from Louisville, Kentucky. Leslie, welcome to You Are the Guest. Thanks, Bill. And as kind of a quick uh, tour of yourself, if you will, could you introduce yourself to our audience? Absolutely. Uh, My name is Leslie Harmon. I am a 33-year-old woman from Louisville, Kentucky. I was born and raised in the area, um, both sides of the river. I am happily married to my high school sweetheart. I have three young sons. I'm a full-time employee of the federal government, and I am a serial entrepreneur. A serial entrepreneur. (laughs) Does that mean like breakfast cereal? No, like I I am serially starting my own businesses. Actually, I think I've stopped starting them for the time being, and I've just kind of winnowed it down to two or three that I still have um, going on. Well, I hope you don't become a serial killer. No, no, absolutely not. I would rather make some money and and, uh, leave people whole and happy. (laughs) I'll bet you didn't know I have a Kentucky connection. Oh, yeah? Who's that? My paternal grandparents both came from Kentucky to, um, they were originally from Kentucky, and they moved about 90 years ago from Kentucky to Iowa to buy a farm and raise a family. Well, now, where did they live in Kentucky? I believe it is Mansfield. Mansfield. I'll have to look that up. Outside of the Louisville area, Kentucky gets so rural that, you know, if if it's not Louisville, Ashland, Lexington, or Bowling Green, then it might as well just be pure Appalachia. You know, it's either horse country or Appalachia. It's really hard to... People, they identify themselves from what county they're from more so than a town. Can you identify people by their dialect? Because there is a distinct Appalachian dialect down there. There is. Now, my ear is not uh, highly trained, so I'm not very good with that. But I did visit a website one time online that was just about dialect and inflection. Um, I had to look that up and see if I can email you the link. It was really interesting because what they did was they took English speakers from all over the world, and you could send in a taped sample of yourself reading a sentence. I mean, just for instance, you know, six or seven different people from Louisville that all had different accents. So... I'm already a step ahead of you. Would you like to take the test? <laughs> sure. <laughs> okay. Here, here, here are four words. Okay. See if you have an Appalachian accent. Okay. Creek. What, like a creek or a creek? Yes. Um, 
I, I say creek, but I know people say crick, so. Okay, if you say crick, you're from Appalachia. Right. Hollow. Oh, no, there's no such thing as a hollow. That's a holler. Okay. Once, <laughs> once again, Appalachian. How about, uh-huh. how about Washington? Oh, yeah. See, I'm a stickler for that one. I had a fifth grade teacher that used to say Washington, and there still are people that I, probably that in my family and in my everyday life, that say wash, they wash their clothes, or there are nation's capitals in Washington, D.C., but I've yet to meet anybody that can explain to me why they say it that way. Yeah, that's, yeah, Washington versus Washington. And the last one is garage. Now, garage, that's the only way I know how to say that. How else would you say that? In Wisconsin and Illinois, they say garage. I have a two-car. Oh, really? It's like Dodge. Huh. I have a two-car garage. That's funny. I've never noticed that one. Yeah, I love that stuff. It's fascinating. Tell you what, at the end of the show, I'll play a song for you from a band from Wisconsin called Two Car Garage. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Okay, here's here's a couple of questions for you. First of all, you you said that you're a government employee. Yes. So what do you think are other people's perceptions of government employees? I think that um, other people perceive government employees as um, uh, just kind of borderline lazy people that get a government job and then uh, consider that security and... Um, I think there's a reputation that it's very hard to get fired from a government job, so... Is that fair? It's probably fair to say that it's difficult to get fired from a government job because there are a lot of procedures in place so that people don't get unfairly dismissed or discriminated against. But I don't know that it's fair to say that government employees are lazy or that they take advantage of the system. I don't... I don't see how a lot of things would get done if that were true. Do you see a lot of taxpayer money going to waste as a government employee? I don't. Um, Our agency, the the branch of the USDA that I work for, is totally self-funded by the people that use the services. So we're very thrifty, very budget conscious. Are there any mechanisms in place that if you do see that taxpayer waste that you can then call it to somebody's attention? Um, there's a government whistleblower procedure in place. There are uh, posters up, you know, around the, the common areas. Um, so, yeah, if there was something going on, then you would have contacts that you could go to immediately. But I mean, I've only worked there for a year myself, but in the day-to-day operations i have seen nothing but people that are um they go out of their way to find what is the most cost-effective solution to whatever the um, need is so do you know of anybody that's used the whistleblower program i heard about somebody on the news you know but nobody in person no what's the big local news story in louisville well we had the president in town recently um, that had a lot of people talking that and the coal miners that got trapped in the cave in um, Appalachia that had a lot of attention. How was how that being received? I mean, what, what, is, what is the talk around Louisville about that particular sad event? Well, 
I mean, it's just pretty much viewed with a lot of sadness. There aren't a lot of people in the Louisville area that have worked in the coal mines themselves. I shouldn't say that there aren't a lot. Um, I'll say I don't know anybody personally who has worked in the coal mining industry um, other than in an office capacity. But pretty much everybody in Kentucky is related to someone else in Kentucky. And again, when you get outside of Louisville and you've got these rural communities, there are only so many jobs. So although I don't have a lot of neighbors and coworkers and friends that are saying, yeah, you know, that was my cousin or my uncle or a friend of a friend, um, there's, there's just a lot of sympathy for the people in that industry and the risk that they take every day just to try to eke out a living. What were people's impressions of how the media handled that? Um, to be honest, I didn't hear any complaints or any positive remarks about that. It was just one of those water cooler type things where people were, um, they would see the headline on the newspaper and then they would remark about it, how sad it was and how scary it was. Um, I didn't get, I didn't hear a whole lot of feedback about whether the media was doing a good job with it or not. Did you get a chance to see the president? No, no, I did not see the president. Um, since I am kind of newsophobic myself. Newsophobic? <laughs> yeah. What's yeah. news? What's newsophobic? What possibly could you be afraid of that's in the news? Um, all the bad things that happen to children that they report about. There's always something horrible happening to a child. Um, that whole mentality that Steve, my husband is a photojournalist and he describes the mentality as um, if it bleeds, it leads. That was his experience in the newspaper industry and I see that echoing through on news radio and television news and even if you just type in Google News and look there, the big news of the day will always have to do with something horrible happening to a child. And even if that doesn't lead, like obviously the president's visit to Louisville went ahead of other news items. When I looked that up, I looked up Louisville News that day to find out what happened with the president being here. There was a story about an infant being abandoned in an apartment and um, the mother being arrested and the child being placed in foster care. There's just always something horrible happening to a small child, and it's really put me off the news. Um, but happily for me, you know, due to the Internet and podcasts and blogs and RSS, I'm able to kind of pick and choose where I get my news, which is one of the reasons why I like your show so much, because I feel like I get a little bit of perspective from somebody local where the news is taking place instead of that whole big headline, razzmatazz, here's the latest tragedy, you know, more at 11, that kind of thing. Are you ready to play a game called In George Bush's Shoes? <laughs> yeah, okay. Because the president was in Kentucky and in Louisville, so people were able to ask the president questions. So I thought I would ask you a couple of questions that were asked of the president and to kind of compare your answers up against his. Okay, do you have his answers there with you too? I, I don't, but I'll tell you okay. what I'll do is I will put a link to my website so that uh, listeners can also follow along to see what the president said. Okay, that way if they decide to nominate me for president in the next election, you know, we can point it back to how it all started on You Are the Guest. Absolutely. <laughs> and just just make me the, the Carl Rove. Okay, whoever your, that is. Yeah. Okay, well, 
he he's he's the really nice guy. Okay. <laughs> okay, here we go. Here's question number one. The thing that is really frightening to me is that we have a true weakness, a wave that's coming in both the engineering arena, the sciences, as well as construction. The baby boomers that are starting to retire will be taking their knowledge base with them, and there is no one compelling enough in today's workplace to replace them. What would you suggest that corporate America do to help in this deficit? You know, there are so many good universities that are churning out kids with engineering degrees. And as we know, the cost of higher education is not going down, so we can't assume that the quality of higher education is going down. So, you know, with all of this young talent out there, I'm sure if you went to, uh, you know, Rose Holman University here in Indiana or in the area in southern Indiana and you asked them, you know, the engineers that are graduating from Rose Holman, are they qualified to step into the shoes of the retiring engineer baby boomers? I'm sure they would say yes. And I'm not really concerned about a lack of talent to take over in these industries. But there is somebody that, for example, this man worked 20 years in civil engineering before starting his own company. And from his perspective, he's saying, I'm not seeing anybody that that's coming down the pike that's ready to take over for these people who are retiring. So isn't that a little disturbing? Well, it sounds like it's disturbing to him personally, but I don't see how you can look at one person and expect him to have the perspective to see the entire field of engineering, science, and construction. You know, I mean, there certainly has to be people that have been building experience, that have been involved in projects all along the way between, you know, the age that he is now and the age that the the new grads are, there are people out there. I mean, there have to be. Part of my business is that I work with management to help mm-hmm. hire and train, and I do this in, in the broadcasting. I'm also doing this in the publishing field, and this, mm-hmm. is, this is the same problem that they're having in broadcasting and publishing as they are in, in engineering. From my perspective, this is a very broad, broad problem. So, uh, Do you think that um, maybe it's just a matter of having some retraining or additional education to people that are already in the field? I think it is a dysfunction between the corporate world and the academic world. I don't think they're talking to each other. Educational institutions are just kicking out students based on what they think Right. The industry needs rather than what the industry is saying, here's what I need from these students. We need to help each other because mm-hmm. if these kids are paying you to teach them and mm-hmm. they come out to the interview process and we say you're not qualified, that's not good for for the student. It's just like taking their money at that point. Right, that's an excellent point. And then not just the students' money, but what about the governments that are um, supplying grants and the uh, foundations and, uh, you know, alumni associations that are putting out scholarships and things like that? You know, this sounds like the students really need to, or the graduates at that point, really need to take an active part in making um, making a bridge there between the two. But I don't think it's it's up to the graduate because the graduate doesn't know. It's up to the industry and it's up to the educational institutions to say, we need to take the lead on this. And if you're going to sign up for four years or five years or six years Mm -hmm. of college, we've got 
everything that you need to get a job in this industry and be welcomed with open arms to a new job. Yeah, I think that makes perfect sense because you're exactly right. They don't know um, until they get out there, until they get out there and they can't get a job and they don't know. Here's question number two. Right up there with national security, I think, is the issue of education of every single person in the United States. Given the challenges in the world, the fact that we have to keep this nation secure in the future and that we all have to deal with all sorts of threats, many of which we don't know, what do you think we need to do better in education to provide a well-educated citizenry that will meet those challenges and keep us secure? We need to strengthen and foster informed and intelligent individuality. And we do that by? I think it's going to be a different approach for every student. And that sounds like a, a massive undertaking. But I think that's the only way you can really do that. There, I know there are different teaching methods out there than what we've got in the schools right now. I know there are all kinds of flexible teaching plans. We're just going to have to look into making a change. Do you think we have a society that is built upon entitlement? <laughs> hmm. I think that our society has changed um, quickly and dramatically over the past several decades. And I think there are a lot of people in our society that probably can't even define entitlement, but that is exactly what they feel. I don't know if it's fair to say our whole society is based on that. Um, but we're, I, we, we certainly have signs that we're going in that direction. I think when when you say entitlement, you know, when you really know what that word means, I mean, you know, I'm entitled to this because, you know, a lot of people don't even know what the reason is, what the because is, you know. It's time for the final five questions. What are the key elements of time management? I think the number one key element of time management is to know how much time you have and to uh, put a tool into effect that will help you manage that, namely the calendar, this ancient invention that has been updated for modern use and there are all these neat online calendars that you can use now that will email you reminders of when you need to do things. But you have to subscribe mentally to the philosophy of using the calendar. Once you do that, you place all of your uh, to-dos into that time budgeting system. You can't go wrong. You do have to be realistic about how much time it takes you to do things. You know, if it's going to take you a month to write a book, then you need to block out a month to write a book and not just a week. But I think that's the number one element, the calendar. And then number two is probably just being realistic about how much time it takes. How many days a week do you sit down as a family for a full-fledged meal? A full-fledged meal. We do dinner about at least three nights a week. Um we have lunches always together on the weekend. I'd like to say we always have breakfast on the weekend, but we've got a couple people in the family don't, that don't like to get out of bed for breakfast. So all five of us sit down, I'm going to say 10 times a week if you count lunches and, and dinners. What's the first sign that someone has a food allergy? 
um, allergic reactions, whether they are to food or to another foreign substance to the body, are all going to show up the same. Um, so a, a food allergy reaction, it could be indicated by hives, uh, runny nose, projectile vomiting, swollen eyes. Uh, high fever, difficulty breathing is an extremely alarming reaction, and that's something that should be um, taken care of right away. Get straight to the emergency room, because that's when people die, when they can't breathe. Um, I think that's pretty much that's pretty much all the, the first signs I've experienced personally. What's more fun, blogging or podcasting? Blogging is a lot of fun. Podcasting is highly addictive. Um, I think podcasting is kind of like a hot little red sports car, a little convertible. And blogging is equally fun, like a, another hot little red sports car convertible, maybe a different model. The blogging is something that you can do without a whole lot of production. So if you just think of something you want to record, you can jot it down. There's the podcasting is so spontaneous and you know, for my family it's something I can do with Steve and it's a lot of fun. So I mean if I had to choose one to give up, I would be really hard pressed to choose. So I don't know which one is better. I don't know. They're both great. I think everybody ought to give them a try. And the final question, what's your secret for overcoming writer's block? I had writer's block for years and didn't even know it. Um, the, the best solution to writer's block is just to sit down every day and write no matter what. Even if you think you have nothing to write about and even if you think everything that crosses your mind is garbage, you just sit down and write it anyway. You don't have to share it with the world. Um, just write it. If you have to type or write out longhand, I have nothing to write about. I have nothing to write about. I have nothing to write about. Eventually, something will start coming out of that pen or will start coming through your fingers, through the keyboard, onto the screen. And before you know it, an hour will have gone by and you will have said so much. Now, whether it's worth anything or not, who knows, but you will have said it and you will be writing and you will not be blocked. Leslie, it's time to play Ask Bill 3. This is where I'm going to turn the mic over to you and... You get to ask me three questions about anything, so fire away. All right, Bill. Uh, question number one. What are five things you are grateful for today? Five things would be my family, my health, my friends, my business, and finally my sanity. Heck yeah. Those are some good choices. Especially, um, especially the sanity part. Because yeah. no, nobody wants the crazy uncle. The crazy uncle. <laughs> Do you have children of your own, Bill? No, I don't. Okay. When you said your family, I wasn't sure if you meant you had a wife and kids or what. Not so. yet. All right. Not well. yet. Are you ready for question number two? Fire away. Question number two. Um, can you name four books that have changed your life? First one I would say is Fighting Fair Without Losing at Love, mm -hmm. written by, I believe it's Tim and Joy Downs. Mm -hmm. Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, that's a Stephen Covey book. Very good book. One Minute Manager Meets the Monkey, Kenneth Blanchard wrote that one. And mm -hmm. finally, The New Testament, Some Monks in a Monastery. 
some monks in a monastery. <laughs> I believe. Yeah. <laughs> the version that we have today, anyway, right? That's right. The third question is, it's really not that probing and penetrating, so it's nothing to be scared of. But it's, um, if you could choose to take an extended vacation, like an extended stay, anywhere in the world, um, you, you would still have the option of going back to Fort Dodge anytime you wanted. Um, this would just be for, you know, whatever period of time was comfortable for you, but more than your standard one-week vacation. What three places would you go to stay for an extended period of time, really immerse yourself in the surroundings and the culture and the environment? My three places would be the Cayman Islands. I've, I've been there before, and it is the most gorgeous place on the face of the earth that I've seen so far. Hawaii, I've always threatened to go to Hawaii someday, so that that would be a great one. And the third one would be Australia, just because I've, mm. I've talked with some people from Australia, and the, the place sounds pretty good from yeah. Fort Dodge, Iowa, but I guess you'd have to see and and find that out for yourself. So, who knows? You could go. You could go visit that nature preserve where your one guest. Yeah. Live absolutely. How about yourself? Um, I want to go everywhere and see everything. Pretty much, I spent the first two decades of my life, at least, being terrified to leave the Louisville, Kentucky area, and I'm ready to make up for some lost time. I agree with you on Hawaii. I've only seen one island. Um, in Hawaii, that was where Steve and I were married, so I would like to see the others. I would like to go to Paris, even though Steve doesn't want to go. I'm going to drag him kicking and screaming someday. I want to go to London, Japan, um, Iceland. I definitely want to do a lot of Caribbean islands again, just everywhere. I want to go everywhere and see everything. Leslie, could you tell about your podcast and about your blog and how people can read and listen to those? Mm -hmm. My pleasure. I have two podcasts. One is uh, dedicated solely to allergy news, and you can find information about that at the Allergy Wear blog. It's A L L E R G Y W A R E dot WordPress dot com. That's where you can uh, read about allergy news and find out uh, how to listen to the Allergy Wear podcast. And then my personal podcast, that is Steve and I just jacking around being silly, is that's hosted on my blog website. The, both of those are located at lmharmon.com. It's l-m-h-a-r-m-o-n.com. And Steve also has a blog and a, a podcast as well about photography, and I have links to those on my blog as well. Leslie, thank you so much for being a guest on You Are the Guest, and good luck in Louisville. Thank you very much, Bill. It was my pleasure. Hi, it's Danny with the Alan Bishop Show. This is Corey. You're in Des Moines. I'm in New York. This is Chris. And I'm in Des Moines. Two, three times a week we get together, talk about politics, tech, and of course Chuck Norris. And girls. No matter which episode you listen to, you will definitely find the content current and controversial. And there's always a hump of the week. Sometimes it's us. <laughs> Sometimes it's me. <laughs> so go to the AlanBishopShow.com. You can subscribe there. Of course, at the same time, you can send us your Skype username. You can send us your email. We've actually given prizes out for leaving us voicemail at 801-383-5221. No matter what Danny tells you, it does not have to be dirty. Do give us a call concerning your ideas, comments, or just to chat. Do you really know if your advertising is working for you? 
Hi, this is John Bischke from LearnOutloud.com, where people go to enrich their lives and become better at things that are really important to them. When you come to LearnOutloud.com, you'll find the largest selection of educational resources that you can listen to at your convenience and on your schedule. One of our titles that I'd like to recommend to you is Bill Grady's audio seminar titled, How You Can Create Advertising That Really Works. It's a very common sense approach to answering all the questions that many small business owners have when it comes to doing advertising effectively and efficiently. And the best part about Bill's audio seminar is that it comes with a money-back guarantee. For more information on Bill Grady's How You Can Create Advertising That Really Works, go to learnoutloud.com forward slash Bill Grady. Learnoutloud.com, changing the way the world learns. That takes care of the show for this week. On behalf of everyone at the worldwide headquarters of You Are the Guest, located in the great city of Fort Dodge, Iowa, I'm Bill Grady. Thanks for listening. I never met someone who hit a guy in the eye like the way she came to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In my best defense, I could have swore that she was looking back at me. That you meant indefinitely
Music provided from the Podsafe Music Network. Check it out at music.podshow.com.